Hey folks, in this interview, I have the opportunity to sit down again with my friend, Mr. Randall Ford. He's got a new book out there called Good Dog. This is Twitter. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Randall Ford is on the hot seat today, author of the new book, Good Dog. Randall, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on again. You and I spoke before on a previous amazing book that you published. This one is your latest kind of foray into the publishing world again with animals, <laughs> this time not so ferocious, you know, hopefully. Not as ferocious. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about the book. The book is called Good Dog. And uh, what what was the inception of Good Dog? Why why did you why did you go down the path of photographing all these little man's best friends? Oh, man's best friends. Well, it it started. The publisher contacted me in late 2018 when I was in the midst of doing PR for my first book, The Animal Kingdom, and they said, "Hey, what's your next book idea?" And I just was like, I paused and I was like, I was like, excuse me. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can do another book right now. I mean, because books are, they're, you know, a huge creative um, load and time. They're so time consuming and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they can be financially draining as well if you don't do it right. And um, I just, I, I was kind of taken back that they were like ready for my next book. Uh, but I thought to myself, okay, this is a great publisher. This is a great opportunity. I should definitely come up with another book. And when I was thinking about another book, I thought about, you know, one of the important aspects in the emotional king, I mean, sorry, in the animal kingdom is the emotional connection that we share with animals. And I was thinking, what, how can I take that further or dive into that thesis or concept a little bit deeper and what immediately popped into my mind was our emotional connection and our relationship with dogs, with man's best friend. I mean, dogs, dogs have been by our side for millennia, for hundreds of thousands of years. They, they, in a sense, they, they evolved to be next to us. And it just felt like a really natural extension of the animal kingdom. And, um, uh, um, you know, I'm a dog lover myself. I, I grew up with dogs and um, I've had dogs, you know, my entire life. And so I just felt like it was it was the right time to do a dog book. You know what? And look, looking through the looking through the book, I'm going to bring it back up again. Uh, looking through the book, I'll tell you, you know, you and I, you know, I, I was sending you emails as I exposed my daughter to the book, you know, and then she kind of she's letting me borrow it now for this this interview. <laughs> so, you know, so she loved it. I mean, it was it was a connection and each page was sort of in the, you know, sort of the idea of you writing a, a little bit about some of the dogs in the book and they're, you named each one of them. For, for a seven-year-old, it was an exercise in trying to pronounce each dog's name and kind of <laughs> thinking about the personality of the dogs. Can you take us through that a little bit? I mean, I imagine each one of these little people has a, a different personality and presented different challenges. Can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. Well, little people is a great way to, to, to put it. I, I haven't heard that, but I really like that because dogs in a sense are so humanized by us and such a, you know, uh, an integral part of us that they, they become our little people. And, um, 
one of the things that I wanted to do, I wanted to further show the human aspect of dogs and the importance of that human uh, connection. And so I wanted to, of course, include the names. And these are all, we, I didn't make up any of these names. These are all the names that were given to these dogs. And some of them are just fantastic. Um, but in addition to the names, I wanted to, I wanted to write a little vignette or a little story that talks about each dog's um, story or their uniqueness or maybe something fun or humorous or maybe something a little bit more serious about them. And, um, you know, that was a, um, I thought it would be a neat opportunity for us to engage our audience a little bit more so that it could be a more, you know, enjoyable aspect of picking up the book. And instead of just flipping through a million photos, um, it was you you're able to kind of go through the book and learn a little bit about each dog what's their name like what's their story uh and maybe some little quirks about about each dog yeah it was it was it's fantastic it's riveting because you know you and you and i were talking during the during our pre-interview about just sort of the 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 history of dogs and how dogs sort of hailed from from wolves right and then self-domesticated because that was the path of least resistance to getting fed versus, you know, being aggressive and, and having to fight for your food. You know, did you see any of that in these dogs? Like you are, you're one of the few people, if probably, you know, yeah, one of the few people I know that have had this much exposure to this many different breeds of dogs, right? Did you, did you see any <laughs> patterns in the chaos? Like, wow, I never realized they all do this thing or they all do that thing. Did you see anything like that when you were going through the project? I mean, it was, it was it was kind of fascinating because I did. I mean, I photographed all different kinds of 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 you know, I photographed breeds of like show dogs all the way to you know your your everyday cute mutt, um, and so and everything in between. And I mean, what I found was a just a constant um, desire to be companions with humans. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating about dogs is I believe they're the only creature in the animal kingdom that seeks out human companionship. Now, some cat lovers may argue otherwise, but <laughs> dogs are, they, like you said, they sort of self-domesticated themselves because by being around us, they got fed and they, the, the, the friendly and docile ones were, um, you know, they hung around the people hung around people and um but to answer your question a little more specifically you know that that level of companionship was consistent throughout um and there's something another thing that i guess would be consistent with my thoughts around an emotional connection is there's something that happens when we look into the eyes of a of an animal especially when we look into the eyes of a dog that we we feel something um, emotionally, internally, um, something it just strikes a chord with us, and and I think we kind of we get a glimpse of their soul. Um, at the same time, I feel like we see a reflection of ourselves. And one of the things, or I guess in addition to that, you know, going along the lines of you know a reflection of ourselves mm -hmm. that we're seeing in these dogs. I mean, so many dogs that I've met they have these traits that their owners have as well. Yeah. You know, if they're, they could be quirky traits, they could be uh, humorous traits, whatever. Um, 
but they they and sometimes we even look like our dogs. I swear it's it's kind of funny. Um, or Did share you see some, that when people the, the owners were just, owners are showing up with these dogs, you know, for the for the photo shoots? Where you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, that, that like, person okay. looks like this dog. Well, a lot of time with a lot of times with with the dog breeds, you'll see that happen. Yeah. So like somebody comes in with a poodle and they're totally styled up as well. You know, you've got this poodle that has this like coiffed hair and I've got one in the book that even is, is, has hair that's dyed pink. And, and so that. the owner comes in and they've got their hair dyed pink or, um, you know, there's, they're, you know, it just is, it's, it's, it's interesting because they're, they're more than just, you know, four legs that's hanging out around us. They're, they're like an extension of our emotional selves. And, and I guess in a sense, they're an extension of our, our physical selves in some realms. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now, right. During the pandemic, you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday, um, we were talking about cats, ironically. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, he was saying that he was surprised at how important having a cat was during this time you know, right. and, and how much closer they are with the cat and, you know, the cats, you know, they're already close, but it's like, you know, it's right. on a different level now. Do you see that, you know, with, with your own animals, do you see that, you know, the relationships during a, the, a pandemic or a shelter in place kind of order, you know, kind of up levels the game? Yes, absolutely. During this year, I think everyone that's had a dog has most likely gotten a lot closer with their dog and, and, and definitely come to value the companionship that a dog offers you because we've been so isolated during this time that, you know, our dogs are, you know, our dogs are keeping us company, uh, especially in the thick of it when we were really locked down as, you know, our dogs were kind of the, 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 uh, kind of an anchor that we had to, to hang on to. And it's been, you know, I've heard lots of stories throughout the last few months of, from dog owners about how their dogs were, you know, uh, such a great part of, of them, you know, a strong part of them getting through all this. Yeah. And I think that's that's a testament to um, kind of the wonderful nature of, of dogs. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, and I mean, as a family, we've gotten closer with. So we so I have a um, I have a two year old uh labradoodle that's like uh 25 ish pounds and then we also we got a quarantine cat um that that a friend found on the streets of houston so we've got we've got we've got a cat and we've got a dog and and definitely have gotten closer with both and it's also been great for our kids as well and for their their well-being i mean um just to have that little companion hanging out around the house and some and some of you know Dogs and some of these dogs are very big companions too, like like a Bernese Mountain Dog or a Great Dane. I mean, it, it's I mean that's another thing that's kind of fascinating when you think about dogs visually. Since we're talking, you know, photography here, when you think about dogs from like, you know, a little pug all the way up to a Great Dane, um, or even a Tibetan Mastiff, which I have a puppy in the book that's like, and it's like 150 pounds. It's just fascinating that dogs are such a broad and we've got such a broad range of different types of dogs and that they all descended from wolves. Isn't that crazy? That, that's, wild. Just, that's wild. Because looking I mean, your book hammers at home because the and I'm looking down into the left because I have the book in front of me. Um, but the the 
the diversity of the different breeds that all came from a single organism, right? And and exactly. and how that came about, you know, and it, a lot of it. Well, most of it. I mean, you're you're the expert on this, and most of that diversity in the breeds comes from humans, right? Saying, hey, I need a dog that's good at this. I need a dog that can smell good, you know, bloodhound. I need a dog that is right. more docile, that can just sit at home and not be aggressive. Humans did that, right? We we created this, the the whole world and the diversity and, and the, the selection, right? To the best of my knowledge, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I know, you know, the process of that was certainly controversial and and i'm sure in ways was was not not as humane as we'd like it right um but you know one of the things when we were talking about the just wolves a second ago is and how the importance of eyes are to us kind of seeing kind of the soul of our dog when they look into our eyes and vice versa you know I, i have a wolf at the beginning of my at the front of my book um just a couple pages in because I talk about the evolution of dogs. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted to capture this portrait of a wolf and it's this white wolf and he's got kind of these um, golden yellow eyes. And while I love that photograph and I love the wolf's eyes, I, this could be a bias, but I almost see a blankness in the wolf's Mm -hmm. eyes. Whereas if I flip down a couple other pages, yeah, I mean, there's an intensity there, of course, but then when I flip over a couple pages and see, you know, like the the husky Aussie doodle with blue eyes, it's like got his head cocked and he's got these big circular eyes looking right at you. It 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 feels like there's a little bit more soul there. And 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 you know, I think that was part of the process of um, you know, wolves self-domesticating. I wonder, you know, <laughs> you know, you look at that wolf, right? And the feed me i want food and you right. know kind of the, the lone wolf uh nature of that is the definition of a wolf um but i wonder if domesticated dogs like the labradoodle you know or the chihuahua or the poodle or you know are those dogs is evolution helping those dogs mask the wolf within or are they truly, you know, are they like, you know what, I gotta, I, I gotta play this role in order to get fed. So this, this is what I am. But really, I'm a wolf, you know, <laughs> is it, is it like that? Or are they truly yeah, just no, I, cool I kids? Think de- you know? I think it's, yeah, I definitely think there's something, I mean, there, there's a, there's a wolf down in these dogs, even if it's a Labrador, <laughs> Labradoodle or a Chihuahua, there's a wolf down in there. And yeah. like with my dog and many dogs, when, when she goes outside and sees a squirrel, I mean, she's laser focused on that thing (laughs) and she's never caught one. I don't think she ever will. Um, But there's that, there's an instinctual thing, sort of like cats. When they see a bird, they just, they just can't, they just can't look away. Yeah. Um, That is so weird. DNA is weird. Cats do all this weird stuff when they see, when they see birds, right? They start, clicking and, and, and their mouth is, with their, their mouth t- vibrates. <laughs> no, they're, okay. Not to get on a tangent. To, well, uh, not, not to really get on too much of a tangent, but if you Google how many bir- birds, cats, domestic cats kill every year, I think it's like 2 billion or something. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're vicious little creatures. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? I'm saying you look we at- have cats and I love cats, but, but I mean, cats, I, 
dogs are very far from their primal ancestors, but yeah. cats are not quite as far. I think cats no. have way more of a hunting uh, a hunting soul and spirit from their ancestors that's still intact. All you got to do is grab your cat by the head and wrestle with it and watch it try to claw and disembowel you. <laughs> we can really pick our cat up. Yeah, totally. <laughs> They're designed to grab and disembowel. That's what they do. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But you got to love them. You love cats. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the eyes, right? Because, you know, looking through the book, it struck me that, you know, as a photographer, I'm looking at the book Uh and these are portraits, right? And like you are in, you're laser focused on the eyes and the expression. You know, was it, was it a lot of work getting, getting the, the perfect expression from each one of these, these dogs? Yeah, it, it was a lot of work getting the perfect expression. And, you know, I'm a, I'm as a photographer, I'm rooted in portraiture. That was my first love of photography. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm at the heart of what I do. I'm a portrait photographer. And so I really wanted that to be part of my first book and then part of this book as well. And, you know, to get, I, I can't just say that dogs, <laughs> you know, have to, um, I, like I can't just, you know, like a human being, you know, it's like, Hey, look right here at the camera. And they're like, okay, I'm looking right here at the camera. Yeah. Dogs, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. So you have some tricks. So what I do, I do a few things. I do, um, I work with a trainer in studio. And so the trainer or two trainers is next to me. Um, and they are, um, so I got, I got like one that's helping the dog stay put in its spot, in its place. And then another is standing next to me, um, usually with a little piece of food over my camera. And the idea is that if we can get the dog to look right at my camera, and then we can capture that soulful portrait. And the way to do that is to get the dog engaged in the food and then put the food almost literally on top of my lens. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of takes a village to make that happen. Um, And it also takes a very, a, a trained dog. You know, some dogs in the book were not as trained as others, and that that became a, a big challenge. Um, mm-hmm. The studio, as many photographers know, is an artificial environment. It can be very, very challenging for uh, for some animals, um, and, and some dogs that were not as socialized or not as trained, it becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, but sometimes you just have to be patient and and kind of work through it or, or, or work really, really fast. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Just the, 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 you know, not like you said, not every dog is, is trained, you know, and is obedient. Some of them are hyper. Some of them are not hyper, you know, right. I was, and, and like you said, in a studio environment with strobes going off, I'm assuming you were using strobe and not continuous light, you know, with, with strobe Correct. going off and all this stuff happening and people, you know, and then you still got the shot. Right. You got the shot of each and every dog. So, yeah, I'm, I'm it's it's interesting to hear that, you know, you had those tricks in the, and a village behind you helping you capture the shot. You yeah. Play- I mean, I've got a, I have a bag of noisemakers that makes the, all kinds of noises you couldn't believe. I mean, with some dogs, we'll try everything. I mean, I've got these. Uh, um, well, so one dog we had gone through. Uh, a duck collar, like a coyote collar that makes this real high pitched sound. <laughs> yeah. um, that usually works pretty great with all dogs. Um, I, you know, we've tried iPhone apps, which the iPhone speakers are not quite loud enough um, or like acute, so to speak. Um, but one of the best tricks 
that was kind of a last resort that worked out well was we took an empty plastic water bottle and we just crinkled it. Everybody was real, real like I said, everybody be quiet, be real quiet in the studio. And I had my assistant about 10 feet behind me where the dog couldn't see him. And I had him crinkle this plastic water bottle and the dog's ears perked up and his mouth closed and he looked right at camera. Uh. And that was after about a, an hour of photographing this dog. And I just, and I knew I was just had to capture that shot. And I just like collapsed after that. Cause I knew we got it. And it was just like, Oh, it can be tough. Yeah. You know what you got to do now since you have all these tricks. Now it's time for babies and infants, right? So. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, there's, a, there's, a, I'll spoil this, but there's an Easter egg at the back of the book and it's a cat. Yes. The last page in the book is a cat. And my, my wife who, who grew up with cats and is, is a, is a cat gal, true and true. She was like, you know what you should do? You should put a cat at the back of this book, just as like a nod just as like a, a cat snubbing its nose to all the dogs in the books. And yeah, you wouldn't think I wouldn't have the last word, would you? <laughs> exactly. So. I'll tell you, you know, you, you emailed me and told me about that. And I, I told my daughter, I, I emailed me and told you the story. I told my daughter, I said, Hey, did you look at the last page in the book? Cause she was like, she was going through the book and she was like, I'm going to make, she's seven, right? She's like, I think I need to make a cat book now to balance the universe yeah. or whatever. You know? <laughs> and I said, you know, did you look at the last page in that book? And she goes, <laughs> she goes, yeah, I saw that cat back there, you know, <laughs> so, oh. so it's awesome. That is awesome. Is that is that the next book? Was that cat at the last page, the cliffhanger for the, for the a lot of folks book? have asked? Probably not. I mean, maybe one day I'll do a cat book um, because of the nature of my work of working within studio cats. I mean, yeah, you know, you've <laughs> heard the thing hurting so. cats. I mean, you know, like trying to get cats to do what you want in a studio is, is very tough. If I did it, I'd probably have to use all trained cats. And, and there is such a thing, believe it or not. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a an oxymoron. Right, right. right. <laughs> a trained cat. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the technical bit of this. Because, the mm -hmm. you know, looking at the book... Like coming at this, I'm a, you know, portraiture is my, my, my lifelong love as well. And looking at the book, I see portraits. Um, but then I see, you know, when you, when you're photographing humans, yeah, different skin tones, different hair types, but they're all basically very similar. Right. And so right. dogs, however, you know, they're all different, different face types, different hair types, different colors right. of hair, different luminance on the hair. Right. All that stuff, you know, so I, I got it. When I was looking at him, like he did not have a set and go lighting set up for this. You, <laughs> each one requires work. Is that is that accurate? Yes, it's accurate. I, I mean, I had like a base lighting that I would fine tune based on each animals, like the shape of their head, the lightness or the darkness of their coat. Um, or if I was photographing them on a black or a white background. So like I usually had... I usually had two setups in the studio. So one white black, one on a, like a white background and one on a black background. Mm -hmm. And typically the one on the black background was a, uh, a little bit more moody, a little bit darker aesthetic. Um, and then one that I could kind of bounce back from, you know, after working on the white background for a while, which is more high key, a little bit more, um, a little bit more kind of fashion-y where you've got this kind of uh, Octobank, 
you know, over the, you know, over the lens, like three quarters pointing down at the, the subject, the dogs. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and so I was using strobes as well to capture any motion, any, you know, flicks of the eyes, um, because, you know, I mean, dogs could just show you like one little twinkle in their eye and, you know, if you, if you're not ready to capture that, or if your strobes don't have the flash duration, uh, to capture that, then it, it can, you know, you can miss the shot. You can miss it. Um, yeah. Another, another interesting thing that, that's from a technical perspective is that I want to get on the dog's eye level. And so, but I also don't want to be bent in a pretzel on the floor all day. <laughs> so, I have a couple different sizes of platforms that the dogs stand on. So if I'm working with like a dog, that's like the size of like a lab, like a Labrador, uh, like a 60, 70 pound dog, then that'll be on a platform. That's about a foot off the ground. And then if I'm working with like, um, a dachshund or a chihuahua, then I'll work with on this platform that's about three feet off the ground. So I'm still having to get pretty low, but it's getting them up at high enough where I can get on their eye level. And that that's that allows me to maintain some stamina throughout the day and and you know capture as many of those shots as possible with their eyes engaged with camera. What what does it look like on on the you know, the time per dog, you know, were you scheduling like a dog in the morning, dog in the afternoon, you know, for these particular projects on a particular day of the week that you set aside for this project? Or was it, you know what, I'm going to get all these done every day back to back for the next two months, I'm going to shoot. How did, how did that part work? Okay, so because this was a follow up book to my first book, and it was like a, a produced book that I had a deadline for, I knew that I, I needed to be as efficient as possible with my time. And so what I did was I worked with a production coordinator and we scheduled all the dogs and all the cities out um, a few months in advance. So how it went was I did like five days in Austin, then I did five days in Dallas, and then I did like five days in Los Angeles. Okay. And so it was... And that was over the course of like a month. So I had, you know, it wasn't nonstop, but I, so I had some days off, but it was pretty condensed for, to photograph, you know, to create a book in almost a month. Um, so, you know, and I mean, I guess it's, that's the ad photographer in me that, that, you know, wants to work, you know, efficiently and quickly and, you know, make the most out of time and expenses. Um, but then to get a little more granular, once I got them in studio, some dogs I could photograph for like, 30 to 45 minutes. Some dogs were like five minutes and then they're done. Um, and some get so, some are so socialized that they get used to this, the, um, the strobes and the noises that they're just like over it in like a few minutes and like, eh, I'm not going to park my ears up for you. Like I'm, I'm too cool in this environment. I'm fine. <laughs> so each dog has their own challenges and you know, because I had a team with me, it was helpful because, um, you know, we learned as we went too. I mean, it wasn't all like, it didn't happen overnight either. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is really surprising to know that you did this entire book in such a condensed amount of time. Cause it's a, when you look at the book, it feels like you've been working on it for a long time. Right. <laughs> and, and it right. finally, it came together, but you, 
you know, like you went in like the Marines and got this thing done and did it <laughs> totally. excellently. Did, were you were you doing all the post processing and all the editing and selections of the final images, or were you working with a team on that? So I have a I was working with Pentagram Design here in Austin. Uh, they actually have design offices all over the world. Um, but they did the base design of the book and then Rizzoli, my publisher, approves the design. But I make the initial sele edit selections uh, of the dogs. And then I work with a retoucher that helps me uh, fine tune the background. So it helps me get a great mask around the exterior of the dog so that I can work um, without affecting the background further. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then once I have that mask from my retoucher, then I can go in and make, you know, little color adjustments here and there, uh, do little bits of like dodging and burning and polishing. So, um, it, it, it became a somewhat a pretty efficient process. Um, but it was still a lot of dogs to go through and retouch, man. Whew. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, that's that's a lot of work in there. Even even if you get the head start of getting the, the alpha channel or the mask right. done, you know, ahead of time. What did, what did it look like on the lighting side? Because it sounds like like you said five days here, five days there, over there. So you had to be pretty nimble, you know, with your lighting setup. Or were you renting studios in those locations and just sort of you know dropping in? I was renting studios in the in those locations and I was dropping in with either my own gear or gear that I rented from the studio. Okay. So I worked with either Braun Colors or Pro Photos and um, I shot everything around, I don't know, F8 to, to F11, um, sometimes F16, depending on how close I was to the dog. Um, mm -hmm. And I used like Ellen Chrome Octobanks and softboxes. So, I mean, the lighting, my lighting wasn't rocket science. I, I'm, I'm on this timeless kick where, or this, you know, where I value timeless lighting and, and timeless mm -hmm. photography. So I'm, I'm really, really trying to dial my lighting in where it feels timeless and classic. And, and so that when I look at it in five or 10 years, it'll still be, hopefully will still be relevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, that's my philosophy when buying furniture. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? <laughs> it's like, I want to be able to look at that table in 10 years and not regret the decision. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. What, what camera? Camera? You're using full frame, I'm guessing. I shot, I shot almost everything on a Nikon D850. Okay. Uh, cool. And I used either Nikon glass or Sigma art, uh, art lenses. Yeah. Yeah. I have my eye on a... 85 millimeter one four sigma art lens hopefully yeah i know it's crispy yeah I'm, I'm, they're very sharp I got my note yeah. into santa right now hopefully santa will come through for me <laughs> so. i love it i love it uh you know what? i wanted to wrap it up and, and and talk a little bit about uh self-assignments and you know just sort of personal projects and that sort of thing mm -hmm. so looking at this book it looks like you know it's it's an exercise in a self-project Right. And, and right. how to how to give yourself a, a, a constraint like I'm going to shoot dogs are going to look like this. I'm going to reach out to them. You built the process right. of, you know, having the, the help getting everything set up and scheduled. It was a project beyond just clicking the shutter and setting up the lights and all that. For Can sure, you talk yeah. to, the, to the importance of that for the folks that are watching this? And, you know, a lot of the photographers I know, you know, myself included to some degree, you know, it's kind of like, 
rudderless in a lot of ways. Like I have all this great gear, I got great lenses and it's mocking me every day because I'm not going out and shooting. But then going out and shooting, you feel like, okay, there's the bridge or there's some clouds and there's this yeah. and there's a pretty girl, you know, how do you, how do you constrain yourself and how were you able to kind of, you know, or, or can you talk to that, the importance of constraints? Because you've done it over and over, like the Animal Kingdom with this book and whatever's next. Well, so with the Animal Kingdom, it's sort of, it slowly kind of came together in a pro, over, you know, as a project. And then with this one, it, it, I was kind of forced um, to, to develop it over the course of, of a year. And so because of that, I, I, I had to kind of compartmentalize the whole book project on um i basically had like a like these little buckets of like what to do to you know what i needed to do to finish the book so for example um i knew i needed to find do like a dog casting call so that was like one of the first steps and then i knew i needed to like whittle that down and get a coordinator to help me schedule everything so that was another step and so i just broke it down i, I think it's um maybe a strength of mine is breaking things down into actionable steps. And I think as photographers, that's something that, that's, that we need to do more often, um, making these in little incremental changes or, uh, uh, steps forward so that when we look at back in a year, we've got this project that we've worked on, um, that that's substantial. So it was a matter of compartmentalizing and just kind of like, you know, chipping off a little bit here, a little bit there, and slowly but surely it, it would it would come together. Um, it's like the old it's, adage, it, it, the old adage of how do you how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's just is it's you know just chipping away slowly. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And then you you know at the end of the road, you have a, a body of work that looks spot on and polished and ready to go. La last question. Um, you know, looking through the book, you got to have a favorite, you know, or was the favorite the, the dog that's on the cover? Like who, who's your favorite dog out of, out of all of these dogs? All right. So when I was, when I was photographing the dog on the cover, which is this, um, Australian shepherd, um, with these orange streaks and these, you know, bright blue eyes and when I was photographing this dog, I, I thought to myself, like immediately, and I had photographed maybe 30 or 40 dogs already. And I was like, this might be the cover dog because it, it was, it felt striking like the tiger, which was the, uh, the cover of my first book. And so I, and I wanted to have something somewhat cohesive with that first book. And so in that regard, it, it really struck me, uh, as a potential candidate and, and thus became a favorite in the book. Um, but if I can flip through this real quick, I can show you another, can I flip through this? Yeah. Oh yeah. Go for okay. it. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is, um, one of my favorites in the book, this bloodhound that just had these amazing roles and bloodhounds when they, when they show a bloodhound, the owner will kind of, um, grab a, cause they got the, all, they got all this like, you know, excess skin that's real <laughs> floppy and pliable and the owner will take this like chunk of excess skin and then kind of like push it down on their forehead which kind of covers their eyes up and crinkles their whole face and that's what made this shot so unique and 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 i think wonderful um 
So there, there are so many in their own kind of unique manner. Um, But then, you know, earlier we were talking about the sweet dog eyes and this is one that just, you know, when you look at this dog, um, which is a, a Husky Aussie poodle mix, um, you know, it's like, what's, what's, what's not to love there? I know. Look at that face. Does the face, did you find that the faces of these dogs and just sort of, you know, me looking at them, I see those little eyes and the big nose and the expression and all that. Uh-huh. Is it, is the, the personality that we see in these dogs, is that often the exact personality that the dog has? Or do you have a dog like this and he's like <laughs> mean, right? <laughs> um. That's a great question. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, a lot of times it's like, you know, a little glimpse of the dog's personality and they can be moody like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, th- th- this is another one. I mean, this poodle, <laughs> this is Papa Razzi, um, that was dyed um, pink. Uh, so he he's in drag in style. and um, <laughs> That's awesome. The quintessential poodle. Um and then this was one of my favorite spreads in the book with with Buckley, the which is a long-haired liver Dalmatian, and then Oliver, this beautiful Siberian husky. Wow. So there, there's so many favorites. Um, this is another one of my favorites, this Afghan hound um, that felt like this. Um, you know, I was kind of channeling my my inner Richard Avedon from a uh, fashion perspective with the wind yeah. blowing. That was another there. trick that I would use is <laughs> – I would use the I would use uh, fans to not only keep the dogs cool, but to also give their hair some depth and and movement. Very nice, very nice. This is good stuff. This this book is it feels like you know not that I'm your marketing guy, but it feels like the perfect book to give to people that love dogs. Oh, right? thank you. Like, this is that gift. Like, hey, here you go. And this is the gift that they will love. And they'll sit down and they'll go through it. They'll probably look for their dog in here, right? <laughs> totally. I mean, there are just, just about every breed. Yeah, yeah. Well, this and is lots great. of amazing mutts. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm one of those. Um, now, you know, looking at the, the other book, can you bring up number 28 there? You know, that's the, yes, the Animal that. Kingdom, right? So you got yes. the this is the new book, Good Dog. Uh, talk about the previous one a little bit, because that book is also equally amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, so that was my first book. And that that's a book of portraits of I think 150 portraits of animals, um, all different kinds of animals, not just wild animals or like tigers and lions and bears, but Cows, horses, wolves, um, chickens. chickens, yeah, ducklings, um, <laughs> kind of the whole gamut, um, but all with the intention of creating portraits of each animal um, and, and many with the intention of capturing their eyes on camera. Yep. That's the portraiture. That's the portraitist in you, you know, capturing, <laughs> yes. capturing those eyes on camera. This is fantastic, man. So what's so these are the same. So one of the things that, that we wanted to do is with the designer and with the publisher, these are the same, the exact same size book, the, Mm. the background, the light background gray is the exact tonality in each one. And so we wanted to kind of make it like a little, uh, package deal so that, you know, hopefully people could, you know, collect them. Absolutely. Well, you know, things have to be in threes though, Randall, come on, you know, you got, I know I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm working on the thought process of what that third book is. 
Yeah. Yeah. What could it be? Birds. I don't know. I, I don't uh, think I can do cats. I don't think I can do cats yet. Cats maybe one day, but not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Insects. How about insects? Weird insects. No Bring soul. That, ma- that, that macro lens. Come on. You're, you're in Texas, right? There's insects out oh. there. Oh, we got, we got lots. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. You got you got some, you know, that's the fun part about this stuff, right? You, the sky's the limit. You have two successful books under you. Now, you know, it's time to round out that the tripod with a third leg and we'll see. The trio. Yes. <laughs> the trio. That's cool. The pressure's on. What is uh, what's next on your agenda? You know, either book writing or photographically. Uh, what other what projects do you have, you know, post pandemic, I would assume. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking a minute to focus back on my advertising work. Um, that's my, um, you know, kind of, that's how I got into photography. That's my primary business is, uh, advertising photography. And so I'm taking some time to get my work in that, uh, realm revamped up and, uh, ready to roll. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I think hopefully a good place right now. And then I want to just continue to kind of evolve. I think as photographers, that's one of the, biggest challenges that we have when you have a career that's, you know, over 10 years is how do you keep evolving and how do you keep getting better? And so I'm at a point now with my ad work that I I'm really, I'm really trying to evolve and continue to kind of hopefully head towards a more timeless direction um, with an aesthetic that is unique and interesting, but still has that kind of timeless appeal. Yeah. Yeah. And that you hit it right on the head because, you know, you, you talk, I, I talk to a lot of advanced amateur and amateur photographers. And one of the, the constant questions that comes up is how do you find your niche? Right. And what, right. how do you find the type of photography that you want to, you know, focus on, but then you hit it right on the head. The next level from that is once you find your genre is to, to keep honing it down and getting, better and better and refining and refining in that vein. So yeah, it's just, it's a lifelong yeah. pursuit, right? Or, or, yeah, it is. But, or even, you know, incremental changes that are in line with trends, not hopping on a trend too tight, but incrementally tweaking to stay relevant. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I'm sure you and a lot of your audience is familiar with Jill Greenberg, but mm-hmm. I've been so impressed with how she will, you know, she had this real punchy, um, popular style that was super, you know, unique and dynamic, um, 10 years ago, but, I, but I've watched her like evolve that and build on that. And it's just been super impressive. And so, um, that's a good example, I think of, of evolution. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, personally, I'm trying to, we'll see if it works. I'm trying to stick with a, like, as timeless of a route, um, while still kind of, kind of grabbing hold of trends to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Real, real furniture, real furniture, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's an investment. Yeah. It's a furniture you want to be able to give to your kids and say, yeah, Mm -hmm. love it. Love it. Well, cool. Thank you, Randall, for for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, anytime, man. I love chatting with you about this stuff. Um, I got your URL up on the screen right now, randallford.com. If folks want to find out where to get the book, I think that's probably the best place to go. Or should they just go to Amazon or their favorite book? They can seller? just go to Amazon and type in Randall Ford and both books will come up. Awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah. So. Highly recommended, especially good dog. If you have a dog lover, which you probably do in your life, go grab good dog and your Christmas shopping is done for that person. right there. <laughs> cool. All right, Randall Ford, you take care, man. Thanks a lot for coming. All up. right. You too, Frederick. Take care. This is Twitter.